Hello and welcome to this BMJ podcast. I'm Navjot Lada, Analysis Editor, and I'm joined by Alistair Matheson, an independent consultant based in Toronto and the author of an analysis article recently published on the BMJ.com about ghostwriting, which we're going to discuss today. Welcome, Alistair. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to be interested in this topic? Sure. Um, I began life as a, as a biologist, um, but um, after my PhD, um, I went into um, uh, medical communications, as it then was, uh, and actually be- began my work um, as uh, what would then have been called a ghostwriter. But um, in about 2003, 2004, 2005, I really began to feel that the industry that I was involved with w- was not really um, producing scientifically accurate material, or, or for that matter, that um, people knew what was going on. And at the same time, there was a, um, a fair few scandals came out. I wouldn't really say I'm exactly a whistleblower, because uh, despite the fact that I'm sceptical, uh, I'm still a supporter of the industry, but I'm um, somewhat concerned about its marketing practices, particularly in publications. Okay, so you have sort of first-hand experience of what you're writing about. Uh, very much so, yeah, very much so. And I'd like to say that, that I don't think there's necessarily a program out there to deceive the medical readership of these journals. I think it's re- really more to do with the clash of cultures between the culture of academia, the culture of, of journal publishing, and then the culture of marketing as well. And so these different cultural norms, these different ways of thinking about communication don't always join up in a nice, um, e- easy ways. Mm, yeah, which leads us nicely on to ghostwriting. Um, let's go back to the very basics. Um, I mean, most people will be aware of the term ghostwriting, but can you give us a brief explanation of what it means in the context of medical publications? Well, if we go back to, say, 10 years ago, just over 10 years ago to 2005, um, a ghostwriter was somebody who composed a manuscript um, for a medical journal, but was not listed as an author. And it was quite common in those days as it is now. Now, what's happened really since 2005, although the roots um, go back a little bit earlier than that, is that there has been a shift in definition of ghostwriting within medicine. Uh, and it's um, shifted the definition from a definition predicated upon authorship or non-authorship to disclosure or non-disclosure. And this is a very important shift because it basically means that what would normally have been understood as ghostwriting and is still understood as ghostwriting outside of medicine and in the rest of academia is suddenly, by this shift in definition, legitimized within medicine. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about how this came about. Um, as you describe in the article, there was a sort of growing awareness about the problems associated with ghostwriting. And I think in the 90s, it became quite a hot topic of discussion among journal editors and among industry. Um, can you give us a potted history of the thinking and discourse at that time and how things developed to reach the point that we're at now? Drummond Rennie and colleagues, who were highly influential um, editors, uh, were addressing this problem of writers uh, and um, came to the idea that, well, perhaps we should acknowledge the ghost. But the writer was still to be called a ghost writer, but um, the idea was, well, as long as there is an acknowledgement rather than simply no mention whatsoever, 
perhaps that's the appropriate thing to do. This would have been in about 1994. Then there was some debate. The, the, the critics of this idea were saying, well, hang on a moment, composition is a very important um, activity, and um, either people who, um, who compose manuscripts should be authors, or they simply shouldn't be used at all, and the people should write it themselves. So that was the, that was the dividing line at that point. The idea gradually took hold within, um, within editorial thought, that if you can acknowledge a ghost, then perhaps the person doesn't need to be called a ghost anymore. And this gradually, over a period of about 10 years, um, slowly took hold. And um, there is this gradual co-evolution taking place between what editors are thinking about and, and what uh, marketers and um, publications trade people are thinking about. There's continual interaction between the two sides, continuing parallel evolution between the two sides. The degree to which there's causation is not clear, but there's this, um, uh, these two communities working and thinking alongside each other, such that in 2005, at exactly the same time as editors, at least some editors, not all editors, come to the view that ghostwriting is about disclosure rather than authorship. The marketing and publications trade hits on this at exactly the same time. Since this time, it's actually, basically the last 10 years, very much the main effort in promoting this new definition of ghostwriting has not been the editors. The editors talked about it back then, but it's been very heavily promoted, repeatedly promoted by industry. And the reason for that is because it's an extremely useful definition for industry. Um, because if ghostwriting can be understood as disclosure rather than authorship, then at a stroke, what would previously have been thought to be um, uh, an egregious practice, this egregious ghostwriting going on, all of a sudden it's declassified as ghostwriting. And it's, it's a normal part of, of um, academic culture. And so marketing through this redefinition, all of a sudden becomes a legitimate, almost background part of normal academic knowledge production. I mean, it's fascinating when you put it like that, because, I mean, it seems like a reasonable idea that, you know, the, the main idea underpinning that course of action and that development of thinking was that secrecy is a key aspect of ghostwriting. And once you name a writer in a byline, then the article um you know, is that still considered as ghostwriting? And as it turned out, no, no, it isn't anymore. But um, you have a different view, which you put forward in the article. Can you explain it to us now? Yeah, sure. I'll give you an example of this. Um, study 329, which um, has been a highly notorious study, um, which has been associated with um, possible uh, suicidality of, um, in, in children for um, SSRIs. Um, the original study 329 manuscript um, um, was ghostwritten. And actually in that manuscript, right at the end of a whole load of small print, the little um, mention saying uh, editorial assistance was provided by, and then the writer's name. Now, according to the new definition, this article is not ghostwritten. But actually, if you think about it, I don't think anybody would really buy into the idea that an article um, which was in fact extensively written um, by commercial parties um, could suddenly be exonerated from being ghostwritten simply by this tiny little bit of 
um, small print writing at the end uh, of, of a long passage of acknowledgements. That's what the new definition means. If something's been written by commercial parties, that should stick out like a sore thumb. That shouldn't be tucked away somewhere. And that's the problem with, with, with uh, this redefinition which has taken place. So um, what do you think needs to happen now? I think that there are a couple of things which, which need to be done. Um, for a start, writers, if, if somebody composes a manuscript, they ought to be a co-author. Uh, and um, one prominent journal, Neurology, um, takes that line. I think that the ICMJE, the um, International Committee of Medical Journal Editors, needs to change its authorship criteria. So if you compose a manuscript or are heavily involved in that or revise it for important intellectual content, then you should be a co-author. And I think that there's, there's really um, no, no real um, excuse for not having that as, as um, a criterion for authorship. I think it lowers the standing of medicine um, within acad academia that, that this kind of thing can go on. And basically, if, if you don't want a writer as an author, you should write it yourself. But beyond that, there's more that also needs to be done. And that really has to do with this idea of attribution. Re remarkably, in, in clinical trials, the, the majority of um, clinical trial manuscripts, for instance, don't tell you that the, um, the study database is owned by the company. It's set up to, to give the impression that uh, this is an academic-led thing and the company is merely a, a sponsor or a supporter of this, which is not the case. The company-initiated activity into which academics have been drawn, and they make a good, decent, honest contribution. But they are the secondary consideration here. The company is the first consideration. But one of the things that happens is that um, the attribution in the way we have it right now is that it serves the purposes of marketing. It serves the purposes of marketing to see this work led and championed by academics, whereas in fact it was instigated and belongs to companies. Mm, well, plenty to think about there. There is one other thing I, I think I think is important in all this. It's important to say that the pharmaceutical marketers have um, a batch of techniques which they use to sell drugs. Now, one of the important things that has really ha been happening in the last 10 years and, and is happening today is that these same techniques are being applied to the field of publication ethics. So the way in which ethicists, editors, um, medics in general think about um, what's right and what's wrong, what's appropriate, what's inappropriate within publications is being targeted and, and campaigned upon uh, by, this, uh, by the drug marketing industry with the same techniques and the same approaches that they use to market drugs. And really this problem of ghostwriting is a, a, a case in point. It might seem natural to us now to think of ghostwriting in terms of disclosure, but it's not. That's, if, if you think that way, you're being played by the trade. Well, lots of food for thought there. Um, Alistair Matheson, thank you for joining us. And that analysis article, Ghostwriting, the importance of definition and its place in contemporary drug marketing, is now available on the bmj.com.